Something that you might want to be remembering in your prayers, Mike Bozeman is going again uh, in the morning uh, to the Brazilian consulate in Chicago trying to get his uh, missionary visa to move to Brazil next month. And uh, it appears that he has everything done that they asked him to do the last time he was there, and we'll see what more they uh, want. But if you would be praying for that, uh, I'm sure that would be uh, helpful and he would appreciate that as well. Would you turn with me to Judges? Uh, Chapter 19 is what we're going to be looking at, although I want to remind you of the concept of these chapters in Judges. The first 16 chapters of Judges basically go through that cycle of sin, oppression, crying out to God in repentance and deliverance. The last five chapters, 17 to 21, are a little different. They are more like appendices to the book that focus on a statement made near the beginning and near the end of this five-chapter section. 17.6, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. And 21.25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Since those statements are found near the beginning of that section, And at the very end of that section, I think what we see is that this is a section that shows us what happens when we do what's right in our own eyes. That's how this this is a demonstration of of what happens when I do what I think is right instead of following the Lord. Chapter 17 and 18 showed the story of a northbound Levite who found a job with Micah and then was later hired by the tribe of Dan. And you may remember all of that. Chapters 19 to 21 show the story of a southbound Levite, at least originally, and the things that he got himself involved with. The chapter 17 and 18 that we've already looked at show what happens in religion when we do what's right in our own eyes. Chapters 19 to 21 shows what happens to our morality when we do what's right in our own eyes. In these chapters, we see how the people of God actually live when they don't follow God as the standard. They just do what seems right to them. So would you look with me at chapter 19 and verse 1. Now it came about in those days when there was no king in Israel that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim who took a concubine for himself from Bethlehem in Judah. But his concubine played the harlot against him, and she went away from him to her father's house in Bethlehem in Judah and was there for a period of four months. There was no king in Israel. That's what you found in 17.6 and 21.25, but you have just that statement also twice more in these sections. I'm not sure that I know what all that means, but I wonder if the author is not saying not only that Saul had not begun and David and Solomon, but there, there was no king divine either. <laughs> they didn't follow the Lord as their king. They didn't have any king. They did not have any standard of authority they looked at. That they were simply following their own desires and what seemed right to them. No king Perhaps not even the Lord. 
And there's this Levite who takes this concubine. Now, we're going to have to call them this Levite and this concubine because we're never told their names. In fact, we don't really know the names of hardly any of the characters in these chapters, which may be purposeful. It sort of dehumanizes them, and they act in a very dehumanized way, as you will see. This concubine, according to verse 2, was unfaithful to the Levite, although there is a translational question there. It may be saying, it's really a textual question, it may be saying that she was angry with her husband, the Levite, not necessarily that she was unfaithful. That's, that's a doubtful thing. But at any rate, she ended up back at her dad's house for four months. And now we see that the Levite's going to go and get her. Verse 3. Then her husband arose and went after her to speak tenderly to her in order to bring her back, taking with him his servant and a pair of donkeys. So she brought him into her father's house, and when the girl's father saw him, he was glad to meet him. And his father-in-law, the girl's father, detained him, and he remained with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. Now it came about on the fourth day that they got up early in the morning and he prepared to go. And the girl's father said to his son-in-law, Sustain yourself with a piece of bread, and afterwards you may go. So both of them sat down and ate and drank together. And the girl's father said to the man, Please be willing to spend the night and let your heart be merry. Then the man arose to go, but his father-in-law urged him so that he spent the night there all again. And on the fifth day he arose to go early in the morning. And the girl's father said, Please sustain yourself and wait until afternoon. So both of them ate. When the man arose to go along with his concubine and servant, his father-in-law, the girl's father, said to him, Behold now, the day is drawn to a close. Please spend the night. Lo, the day is coming to an end. Spend the night here that your heart may be merry, that tomorrow you may arise early for your journey so that you may go home. We see a very hospitable father-in-law here. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why he so much wants his son-in-law to stay, unless he just wants his daughter still around. But uh, this Levite accepts his hospitality again and again and seems to be somewhat uh, wishy-washy on his determination to leave. He spends the whole fourth day and night and now the fifth morning and uh, early part of the afternoon perhaps with uh, his father-in-law. The hospitality shown by this father-in-law is going to be in great contrast with what we're going to see later on in this chapter. Throughout the whole chapter, the concubine is silent. We don't ever hear anything from her, and she's sort of, sort of lumped in with the servants and the donkeys and other things that the Levite sort of carts around with him, and that may be an indication of how the Levite viewed her. But finally in verse 10, the man was not willing to spend the night, so he arose and departed. That means he's leaving in the afternoon. He rose and departed and came to a place opposite Jebus, that is Jerusalem. And there were with him a pair of saddled donkeys. His concubine also was with him. When they were near Jebus, the day was almost gone, and the servant said to his master, Please come and let us turn aside into this city of the Jebusites and spend the night in it. However, his master said to him, We will not turn aside into the city of foreigners who are not of the sons of Israel, but we will go on as far as Gibeah. And he said to his servant, Come and let us approach one of these places, and we will spend the night in Gibeah or Ramah. So they passed along and went their way, and the sun set on them near Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin. And they turned aside there in order to enter and lodge in Gibeah. When they entered, they sat down in the open square of the city, for no one took them into his house to spend the night. 
Then behold, an old man was coming out of the field from his work at evening. Now the man was from the hill country of Ephraim, and he was staying in Gibeah. But the men of the place were Benjamites. And he lifted up his eyes and saw the traveler in the open square of the city. And the old man said, Where are you going, and where do you come from? And he said to him, We are passing from Bethlehem and Judah to the remote part of the hill country of Ephraim, for I am from there, and I went to Bethlehem and Judah. But I am now going to my house, and no man will take me into his house. Yet there is both straw and fodder for our donkeys, and also bread and wine for me, your maidservant and the young men who are with your servants. There is no lack of anything. And the old man said, Peace to you. Only let me take care of all your needs. However, do not spend the night in the open square. So he took him into his house and gave the donkeys fodder, and they washed their feet and ate and drank. Since they've left in the afternoon, it means that they can't go all that far before they have to spend the night. It's dark. And the servant is suggesting that they spend the night in the city of the Jebusites. But the Levite doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to spend the night in a, in a Canaanite city. He wanted to avoid that. He might have been somewhat fearful as to the moral standards of the Canaanites or to their being willing to receive him into their homes. He says, I want to spend the night in a city that belongs to our own people, a city of the Israelites. They're in the tribe of Benjamin. But the city that they finally come to when it gets dark, a city of the Israelites themselves was the city of Gabeah. And nobody offered for them to spend the night with them. They stayed there in the open square, and that apparently was kind of what you did if you wanted somebody to take you in for the night. Nobody offered hospitality to them. And finally, there's one old man, and this old man, he's not even a Benjamite himself. He's an Ephraimite. But he happens to be living there for a brief time. And so he says, well, y'all come on and you stay with, with me. So finally, a non-Benjamite Israelite does take them in. And he says something a little bit worrisome, I think, in verse 20 when he says to them, however, do not spend the night in the open square. You wonder why he was so concerned about that. What was going on there in that city that he wouldn't want them to do that. But at any rate, they accept his offer of hospitality and they go home with him to spend the night. Now verse 22. While they were making merry, behold, the men of the city, certain worthless fellows, surrounded the house, pounding the door. And they spoke to the owner of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came into your house that we may have relations with him. Then the man, the owner of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my fellows. Please do not act so wickedly since this man has come into my house. Do not commit this act of folly. Here's my virgin daughter and his concubine. Please let me bring them out that you may ravish them and do to them whatever you wish. But do not commit such an act of folly against this man. The, man, the men would not listen to him. So the man seized his concubine and brought her out to them. And they raped her and abused her all night until morning, then let her go at the approach of dawn. As the dawn, day began to dawn, the woman came and fell down at the doorway of the man's house where her master was until full daylight. When the master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go on his way, then behold, his concubine was lying at the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up and let's go. But there was no answer. Then he placed her on the donkey, and the man arose and went to his home. 
When he entered his house, he took a knife and laid hold of his concubine and cut her in 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout the territory of Israel. And it came about that all who saw it said, nothing like this has ever happened or been seen from the day when the sons of Israel came up from the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak up. I'll tell you, I don't think things could have been any worse in the Jebusite city. It seems to me that the Canaanites have basically uh, set the program for Israelite behavior. At this point, they're doing what's right in their own eyes, and it's a very pathetic sight. There's just so many things that jump out at you in, in the reading that we just read. First of all, does this remind you of anything? This is so much like Genesis 19. You remember Genesis 19? That's where those two angels went down to Sodom. And nobody wanted to take them in, but Lot, a non-Sodomite, did. And then the men of the city of Sodom tried violently to get those two angels to come out so they could abuse them all night. That's how we get the word sodomy. And uh, there was an effort by Lot to substitute his daughters, just as there was the effort by this old man to substitute his daughter and the concubine of the Levite. What that tells me is that when people do what's right in their own eyes, they become like Sodom. Even God's own people, when they have no king, not even the Lord, they do what they feel like, they degenerate into the city that is the proverbial worst city that there's ever been. Sodom is just a byword for moral filth and perversion. And yet, that's, it's almost reenacting the scene from Genesis 19. It's also interesting in verse 24, when this old man says, here's my virgin daughter and his concubine, please